Welcome to War Stories. I'm Preston Stewart, and this is a show where we talk about America's military history through the lens of individual acts of heroism and valor. Enjoy. Today we have the story of Sergeant Sylvester Antelak. Antelak would serve with the 15th Infantry Regiment, part of the 3rd Infantry Division, in an area known as the Anzio Beachhead or the Anzio Breakout. That's in Italy during the Second World War. So broadly, um, the, the area is referred to the Mediterranean Theater. And to talk about why his actions are so important that we're going to dive into, it happens on, on May 24th, 1944. We'll step back a little bit to talk about kind of what are we doing in Italy in the first place. So Italy and Nazi Germany have a cooperation agreement pact, and they're they're fighting alongside each other for a period of time. The Italians get a little maybe overly aggressive early in that kind of cooperation and, and become aggressive, taking some aggressive military actions that don't really pan out in their favor. And before too long, they're going to be pretty reliant upon German assistance to defend their, their territories, their newly conquered or, or attempted to conquer territories. And that's, you know, for the second war in a row, that's a theme with the Germans that they end up with an ally that they're having to help more than maybe that ally is helping, if you will. So if you think about a partnership, you're really hoping that both sides can contribute. And in the first world war, Germany was really straddled with Austria, Hungary, um, just not able to pull their weight. And Germany had to divert forces to kind of keep that ally functioning. It's a similar issue in the Second World War with Italy. Germany doesn't want to have troops in Italy. The, one of the points of allying with Mussolini was to protect the southern approaches into Germany. So Germany can focus on their war in the west with Great Britain at, at this point and in the east against Soviet Russia. They don't want to have to defend this allied territory. That, that that should fall on the Italians, but the Italians take some uh, take some pretty serious losses for a few years. And as U.S. forces, Allied forces, look to land on Italy and begin an invasion of Italy, Germany has to send quite a few forces south to help their allies. So, why is the U.S. invading Italy? And this is. I, Personally, I feel like this is something that doesn't get as much attention as the Normandy invasions. We tend to focus on that as the bulk of kind of how the Second World War came to a close, landed in Normandy, pushed through to Berlin. But this is coalition warfare, and that requires compromise. And in my mind, at least the way I I view this, is that the reason for a lot of actions in the Mediterranean theater have to do with, with compromise. Another way is also to think of maybe not putting all of your eggs in one basket. So the Americans, when we enter the war, are ready to go. And we want to jump across the English Channel and assault France as early as possible. We start building up forces in the European, broader European theater of operations, but it's slow going. And England, Britain is concerned about going too soon. They want to make sure the stage is set and the time is right. Because if we push across the English Channel and get repelled, it could be you know, a year or more before we can rebuild our forces and and re-equip and build new ships and planes. And remember, England's under pretty serious attack from Germany at this time. So a compromise is to 
Let's still take the attack to Germany. Let's find a spot with the, you know, limited number of troops available at this time. Remember the buildup still ongoing. Where can we hit Germany? And a decision is made to, we end up with troops in North Africa, and then we end up uh, invading Italy in 1943, in September of 1943. The reason that Italy was chosen was for a few reasons. One, it's considered to be the soft underbelly of the Axis. So again, remember Germany's kind of was hopeful that the Italian forces could protect that area and they could focus elsewhere. It's not really the case. So it's understood that there's not the same firepower and, and manpower in Italy that there are on the Atlantic wall or ready to do combat in the West. But there's also Italian troops scattered around some of these occupied territories. And a thought is if the U.S. can, if the Allies can attack in Italy, those Italian forces are going to say, to hell with occupation um, duties, we got to go home and protect our home front, which means that German forces would have to move into some of these other territories, diverting them from other areas, potentially diverting them from the Eastern Front. And in 1943, on the Eastern Front, the war between Germany and the Soviet Union, the tide is really starting to turn. The Germans have hit, I don't, yeah, the Germans have hit a wall by 1943, by mid-1943, and they could, everything's kind of reversed. From that point on, the Soviets start pushing back against Germany. But if there's anything that we could do, remember the, the U.S., Great Britain, and, and the Soviet Union are all allies at this time fighting against Nazi Germany and Italy. So if we can attack in Italy and that pulls forces out of the Eastern Front, then it expedites the Soviet advance West. So there's a lot of reasons to go into Italy and we have the manpower to do it, we have the equipment to do it. And, you know, it's, it's, I don't think anybody would say this is the top of the list, but it never hurts to get some combat experience when you know you have a big battle coming up. So everybody knows there's going to be this grand invasion of Europe at some point, likely coming in France. It's not such a bad thing if people at all levels can get a little combat experience. This, this is an army that really hasn't fought, the U.S., really hasn't fought in 30 years. So another reason to, to dive into Italy is going to be to get a little experience. So in 1943, Allied forces invade kind of towards the southern tip of Italy, but they, they kind of hit a wall. Now, Italy from east to west is, you know, it's a peninsula. And it's only 50 miles across. It, it, for some reason, always seems like it's a lot bigger than that. But 50 miles is not very wide. You know, in terms of the Allied landings at D-Day, if you go from Utah all the way over to Sword Beach, that's about 50 miles. So it's the same width that the Allies are fighting in Italy, but it makes it challenging because you have you know, water on both sides and only 50 miles to operate. That also means that the Germans have the opportunity to, Germans and Italians have the opportunity to really create substantial defensive positions. And they do. There's a couple series of lines that they really dig in and exact pretty substantial casualties from Allied forces trying to move north. You know, at a high level, the idea is going to be to take Rome. You know, we're still at a time where if we can take, you know, the capital city, then, then, maybe the country will fall. And that's kind of the idea. So if we can push up to Rome, at least that should, should maybe knock Italy out of the war, um, certainly push Germany back even further. What Germany does is create these lines, one of which is called the Gustav line. 
and it's south of Rome a little ways. And the allies are just running up against this thing, not able to, to really make any progress through it. And as winter is starting to set in and it, it's the combat is becoming more and more challenging, plans emerge to move around with a new um, seaborne landing, amphibious landing, and it's going to take place in an area known as, or called Anzio. Anzio is not the most expected place for a landing. It's not perfect for this, but the high-level plan is to land at Anzio, which is behind the Gustav line, and U.S. forces can push in from there and kind of collapse the German defense, right? So there's going to be allied forces on both sides of this German defense. They might even just be able to cut off all of these German units and capture them entirely. So in January, U.S. forces land at Anzio, and there's a lot of controversy around this, but they land in pretty small force, like two or three divisions total for this landing, it, which is not very big. But remember, one of the reasons we're attacking Italy at this point is because we don't have quite yet this sizable manpower to dedicate to this. Now, that manpower is arriving in England by the day, building up for the coming invasion of France. But Italy is not front and center in everybody's mind, if you will. So just a couple divisions land at Anzio, and the commander on the ground takes the priority of setting in defensive positions. You know, we talked about how when you take a beach, you have to be able to defend it at all costs. That's your lifeline, whereas you get pushed back into the water and everybody can be killed. So he takes the approach of, he pushes out just a little bit, but establishes a beachhead that he can secure, he can defend and start to bring in more supplies and reinforcements. That's, you know, that was his approach. In retrospect, there there's a lot of debate that he maybe should have been more aggressive and pushed inland further right away. And the reason for that is the Germans were caught off guard. They weren't right away. There wasn't a sizable defense of Anzio, but because the Americans, the allies didn't push and instead kind of set in a defensive perimeter, it allowed the Germans time to reinforce those positions. And before long, the Americans have this semicircle around this beach and the Germans are also in a semicircle. They just happen to have some high ground and a lot more people and just start hammering allied units. For a few months, there's some back and forth. Allies are trying to break out. But as more allies, you know, service members land on the beaches, more Germans are reinforcing and digging in. And it gets the, the combat becomes more and more challenging and a breakout of the beachhead is becoming harder and harder to accomplish. Things kind of settle down and the decision is made that in May, there's going to be a concerted U.S. offensive to punch through the German lines. Remember, it's not going to be like World War I style where they attack all across the front. There's going to be a concerted effort to punch through the lines in a few spots, exploit that and, and move, start to move through um, up towards Rome and then again kind of behind the Gustav line. That attack is scheduled to begin on May 23rd, 1944. One of the leading units in that attack is going to be the 3rd Infantry Division. Sergeant Sylvester Antelak is going to be a part of that attack and fights the whole first day. And by the second day is fighting with his unit when they come under fire from a few German positions. Now, he notices two separate German machine gun positions and they're in a, in a, they're pinned down in a way that if they don't start dealing with these machine gun nests quickly, 
they could wipe out his entire unit. So seeing these two, Antelak takes initiative and jumps up with his submachine gun and charges directly at the first enemy machine gun. There's there's devastating machine gun fire landing all around. I mean, they pin down, you know, at least an American platoon, maybe more. And this one guy stands up, runs into that fire to overrun the position. Now, as he's running, he gets hit and falls to the ground. His guys are watching, not, not knowing what to do, not knowing if they can help, but he gets up and he starts running again, continuing the attack. He's hit again, falls. These guys don't know if he's alive or dead. They're waiting. He gets up again, continues charging. Before he reaches the emplacement, he gets hit a third time, hit three times in this assault on this German position. This third strike pretty well destroys his right arm. It's not functional anymore. So this time, the third time, when he stands back up after being wounded three times, he shifts the submachine gun to his left arm, tucks it in under his armpit, charges forward, still charging forward, and starts spraying fire at close range into the German emplacement. He promptly kills two and 10 Germans quickly surrender. So wounded three times, just about lost his right arm, overruns this German position, alleviates much of the stress of his unit back there that was at risk of being wiped out. He calls his guys forward and they consolidate in this position, take the prisoners. And his guys are telling him, hey, you got to get treated. You need to get looked at, get medical attention. But they're still under fire. Remember, there were two German machine gun nests. So he refuses medical aid. And instead of just continuing to fight with his guys, stands up and looks out at the second machine gun position about 100 yards away, again, over open terrain, pinning down soldiers all around him. And Sergeant Antelak, having been wounded three times, not able to use his right arm, stands up and once more charges this German machine gun position. During this assault, he would be hit again and killed at the age of 27. But that second assault so distracted the German soldiers in the machine gun nest that his men were able to follow his lead and overrun the position. Those two were holding a critical, those two machine gun nests were holding a critical position in the American breakout. And because Sergeant Antelak was able to overrun one and, you know, serve as a, a, a diversion, if you will, for the second that his men could overrun, American units were able to continue to push out and would go on to successfully break out from the Enzio beachhead and move on to Rome in a matter of days. In turn, for that brave action, nobody telling him to do it, just taking the initiative, jumping up in the face of withering German machine gun fire, overrunning a position by himself, and then setting the stage for the second to be opened up to allow allies to continue the breakout, Sergeant Sylvester Antelak would be awarded posthumously the Medal of Honor. Hey, thanks for listening to War Stories. If you get a chance, it'd mean an awful lot if you could head over to Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast and leave a review. It helps others to, to find the show. But thanks again for listening. 
We'll see you next time.